Uh, now I'm going to read tonight's passage that Keith's going to be preaching on in a bit, and that's Genesis chapter 6, verse 9 to 22. Genesis 6, verses 9. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all, the, all life under the heavens. Every creature that has breath of life in it Everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons, and your wife, and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and, your, and for them. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. That is the word of God. Good. Well, we're going to be speaking this evening about Noah's flood. And it's a warning of God about a forthcoming judgment and the only means of rescue. Um, I've got uh, 12 grandchildren. And this little story about a grandfather and his grandson. And the little grandson came into the father, a grandfather, and said, uh, Granddad, do you really believe in all the Bible? And Granddad said, Yes, son, grandson, I really do believe that the whole Bible is true and trustworthy. And the little boy scratched his head and said, Granddad, do you believe in Noah's flood? And the granddad, with great sincerity, said, Yes, son, I really believe in Noah's flood. I believe it's in the Bible, and it really, really happened. And the little boy scratched his head again. He said, But granddad, why weren't you drowned? <laughs> I do believe in the inerrancy of the word of God. It is God's word, and, uh, and we, we can believe it. There may be difficulties in translations, and we know that uh, I don't speak Hebrew, Greek, or, or Arabic, but I, I know that sometimes finding the right word to actually put into English can be difficult, and people will find fault with that. But, but the basic story, the basic truth that we find in the Bible is trustworthy. It's from God. That's why we call it God's Word. 
John Blanchard, who recently died, who was a great preacher, and he was the, uh, the one that was preaching a sermon uh, about whatever happened to hell when my wife Jackie, who's tuned in and watching us this evening, uh, he said about the Bible, he said, men do not reject the Bible because they find fault in it, but because it finds fault in them. People don't like the Bible because sometimes it points out that we're sinners, that we need a saviour, that we need to change, that we need rescuing. C.H. Spurgeon also said a similar thing. He said, if I did not believe in the infallibility of the book, I would rather be without it. If I am to judge the book, it is no judge of me. So if you're going to go through the Bible and you're going to select things that you like and things that you don't like, what you're going to believe and what you're not going to believe, and you're going to sit above the Bible and you're going to judge what you believe and what you're not going to believe, then the Bible is no help to us. But the Bible is the Word of God, the inerrant Word of God. And it's important that we read it and reread it that we take to heart the message that is there and take to heart the warnings that the Bible brings to us. So I've got three very simple headings this evening. You know that I like a little bit of alliteration in my uh, uh, sermons. And so the very first heading that we can have up, please. Oh, this is, this is a fact sheet. I should have asked this to be put up first. I didn't want to spend all the evening going through the facts of what... Um, happened in the flood. It's there for you to have a look at, and you can see you know, when it took place and, uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, all the information is there in the Bible, but just to have that fact sheet is quite, quite good. But the reality of the flood, that's my first heading. There are many reasons why we should believe in a literal worldwide flood. First of all, Isaiah believed it. In Isaiah chapter 54 and verse 9, we read, To me, this is like the days of Noah, when I swore that the, the waters of Noah would never again cover the earth. Now, when you read Isaiah 54, you see that it's talking about times that we're in, times that were yet to come. So that he was prophesying forward. And so when we read Isaiah 54, we realize that Isaiah is saying that just as in the days of Noah, there are things that people uh, did which were uh, anathema to God, but God promised that he would never again bring judgment upon the earth in the same way that he had during the times of Noah. So Isaiah believed in the actual flood that took place in the days of Noah. And Jesus believed it. Jesus referred back to, uh, to that when he was talking uh, to his disciples. He said, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. So Jesus was again giving this warning to the people that just as in the days of Noah, and we'll be looking at that in a little bit more detail, and so it will be just before Jesus comes back. And friends, I think we're living in those days that have been prophesied in the Old Testament that Jesus is speaking about. We're getting very near to the time of the re return of the Lord Jesus. So Isaiah believed in a worldwide flood. Jesus believed in it. 
And there are many flood legends. There are around 500 different people groups around the world that have, in their history, a flood-like story. And the amazing thing is that many of them talk about the flood in a similar way to the Bible, but they also have names of the survivors, not exactly the same as Noah, Shem, Ham and Japheth, but names that are very, very similar to it. So maybe as they pass the stories on from one to another, the names got slightly uh, spoilt. But nevertheless, um, there are these 500 different people groups around the globe that have a flood-like story in their history. And finally, there's the fossil record. Now, I know that many evolutionists say that fossils prove evolution, which I don't believe they do at all, because you see fossils that they often say are millions and millions of years old, and yet you find creatures today that are exactly the same as those fossils. But there are lots of things that evolutionists and people that deny the flood really have to struggle with. Um, Back in 2010, uh, in the desert in Chile, they found, as they were digging and, and, and uh, they were building this road, or they were widening the road, and as they were winding the road, widening the road, they came across a skeleton, and this is miles from the sea, a skeleton of a whale. And as they dug around it, they, they thought, what's this whale doing here? And they carried on digging, and this is no lie, they found 90 whales. They were all fossilized. They were all facing in the same direction. And, and they were there, miles from the sea. How on earth did they get there? Well, you know, to make a fossil, there has to be some sort of uh, catastrophic event. And, uh, and it has to, because if an animal dies and it just lays uh, dead on, on the beach or in, in, the, in a jungle or whatever, uh, other animals will come along and they will, scavengers, they will eat it. And, uh, and that would, would get rid of the animal. But these fossils, they're laid in the, in the uh, sediment, they're covered in sediment, a lot of pressure is put on them, and then they become fossilized. And that's, that's how it, it, it happens. And uh, fossils have been found all around the world, even near the summit of Mount Everest. They found fossils of marine life, uh, um, you know, various marine creatures that uh, would normally be in the sea. There they are, near the summit of Mount Everest. Uh, there's a singer... Uh, country and western singer called Buddy Davis and he sings a song about the worldwide flood and uh, the chorus goes millions of dead things buried in rock laid down by water all over the earth it's worth uh, googling it and finding it and listening to this song by Buddy Davis but fossils I think prove to us and show us that there was a worldwide flood so where did all the water come from? Well, in Genesis chapter 7, which we, we're covering all of it, and I didn't uh, ask Jake... Oh, by the way, thank you, Jake, for leading. Thank you to, to the younger boys who came and, uh, and gave the report on the uh, persecuted church. Thank you to those. But uh, in, when we come to Genesis chapter 7 and verse 11, it tells us there that all the springs of the great deep burst forth and the floodgates of heaven opened. Now, 
The earth is covered in a crust, but underneath the crust, so I'm told, there is this mantle or cistern of water. And they say that there is up to uh, enough water to fill our oceans ten times over. So there's plenty of water there. And of course, when God made the world, we know that he separated the waters of the deep and the waters of the sky. And up until the time of Noah, it had never rained. So there was this vapour, this water. Maybe that was the reason that people lived such long lives. And, and there they were uh, living under this mantle of water. And when the flood came, we're told, as I said in Genesis chapter 7, verse 11, all the springs of the great deep burst forth. And that must have been really quite something. Um, people talk about cyclones, but they had hyper, hyperclones, I think they called them. These great um, bursting forth of the underground water systems that just burst forward. And then there was this huge rainfall. It rained solidly for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, I didn't arrange the evening, uh, the, the rain this evening. That came quite naturally, um, but it's a good visual aid. But it's nothing like the rain that the people in the days of Noah experienced. And the ocean floor was probably not as, as deep as it is now, um, but probably was much more shallow. And the mountains weren't quite as high as they are now. But this hyperclone, this, this great storm that, that came about, was catastrophic. And it probably is the reason why the, the continents and the, uh, the uh, uh, land masses were moved apart. And all of, all of this happened over this period when the flood took place. Let me have a drink of water. Thank you, Jake. 40 days and 40 nights of rain. What a, an experience that must have been. Now I want to move on to the next slide, which is the reason for the flood. Why did God choose to flood the earth? Jake read for us, uh, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among all the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. But God had looked out of heaven and he had looked on the earth, and in verse 11 it tells us, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. It's the same as in the days of Adam and Eve. Sin came into the world, and God, as we were hearing this morning, God is a holy God. A God who hates sin, a God who is separate from sin. And he saw that this world that he had made in six days and then said, it's good, it's good, it's good. Now corruption had come in. Violence was everywhere. And God looks upon sin and he hates it. It's a new beginning as well. Or well, I should have said that, uh, you know, some of us think that sin isn't too bad. We talk about telling little white lies. Well, I remember hearing uh, somebody, a preacher, use the illustration, and he said, uh, a little lad said, oh, it's only a white lie, and this guy replied to him, nay, lad, they're all blackens. You know, we, we tend to think that a little exaggeration, well, that's really not too bad, um, and, and we think we can, we can just sort of slightly uh, distort the truth, 
God hates all of that. God is a holy and a righteous God. And his view of sin is very different to our own. And so that's why Jesus had to die for the sins of the people. So it was uh, a punishment. God wanted to punish the earth because of all the sin that he saw. It was a new beginning. God's plan was always perfect. Noah, get this right, Noah was not a sinless man. He was a sinner, but he was considered by God in verse 9 of the passage that we read to be um, a righteous man. And through Noah and through his son Shem, we see, and we'll be looking at this uh, in another talk that we'll be doing, we can see that God had a blessing that was prepared for the rest of the world, the nations, including ourselves. So it was a new beginning. God started it over again. He was sad that he had to do this. But today is Remembrance Day. And I wonder, and as I was watching uh, the, uh, the Remembrance Service last night and, and talking about the many, many soldiers who had given their lives to give us the freedoms that we enjoy today. I wonder how many of those soldiers who gave their lives for our freedom would feel if they could see what sort of a world we're living in today, where there's so much corruption, so much violence. And we think about those men, those who gave their todays for our tomorrows. But what does God think? God hates sin. So the reason for the flood is because God was punishing the earth. It was a new beginning, but it was also symbolic. The way God saved Noah and his family in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, we see there that, that Peter is referring to the flood, which he believed in, as being a symbol of baptism. That people were going down into the water and they were dying. But some of them were rescued from the water and they lived. And that's how it is with baptism, isn't it? We see people going down underneath the platform here. I hope the floor is, is good and solid here. But there's a, a, a big hole in the ground here that we fill with water and people come in. And it's as if they're coming in in their old person. They go down into the waters of baptism. And yes, we also think about it as a washing, a cleansing, it's only a spiritual, symbolic thing, but it's like going into the grave and being buried in the water and then coming up into new life. So the reason for the flood is also there for us as a symbol of God's redemption for mankind. And thirdly, it's a rescue, a rescue operation. I said sin is a terrible thing. We read there in verse 11, the world was corrupt in God's sight. That word corrupt, I looked it up when, uh, on my computer with the thesaurus and it said corrupt means immoral, unethical, dishonest, crooked, fraudulent, debased, perverted, contaminated. It also means rejectors of God. And people have turned away from God and, and and although we have a low regard for sin, God has a high revulsion of sin. And sin is deserving of God's anger. So God came to rescue us from sin. 
Secondly, Noah was a righteous man. And looking up again on the thesaurus, righteousness means virtuous, moral, upright, honest, respectable, decent. But again, that doesn't mean to say that we are without sinners. sin. We're all sinners. So we find here that Noah was a righteous man. But he was also an obedient man. In Hebrews 11, verse 7, it says, By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to, to save his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. So just imagine that. Noah was there living quite a distance from any large water. They'd never seen a boat like the size of the ark. Now, describing it as a boat really is not, not correct because it, it was a container. It wasn't built to sail anywhere. It was built to keep water out. It was built to stay afloat. But um, Noah starts building this, this, uh, this ark miles from the sea. It takes him, as you saw on the fact sheet, 120 years. And all the people around are watching him. Many, perhaps, of the local people would come to Noah for work because they, there was so much work to do. I'm sure that Noah and his three sons couldn't have completed all the work on their own. But they would come and they would look at this thing. And Noah would say... God is going to bring judgment on this world because of the sin of mankind. And they said, this is nonsense. It's not going to happen. But if it means that we can get a day's work out of him, then we're probably quite happy to go and, uh, and help build this up. But Noah was all the time telling people that God was a righteous God and he was going to bring judgment upon the world. And although it seemed cr so crazy to all the people around him to be doing this great um, building work, yet Noah was obedient and he did what God had instructed him to do. He was also unselfish. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, he says, God, he, God, he, that is God, did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. Noah didn't want to see his neighbours, his, uh, his wider family maybe, his friends. He didn't want to see them perish. He'd heard from God that God was going to bring judgment upon the earth. And so, as Peter describes him, he became a preacher of righteousness. He was telling people that they needed to turn away from their sin, that they needed to repent. But they didn't. And so Noah continued building his ark. So, because of sin, God was going to bring salvation and he was going to provide security for Noah and his family. The ark was God's plan and perfect design. It didn't, didn't come from Noah. God gave Noah exactly the right uh, instructions how to build this ark. And it was to be of a certain length, a certain width, and a certain height, and Engineers have looked at that and they've said that is a perfect way to build a capsule that will not capsize, that will be able to float, and even if it is turned over, it will always right itself and be the right way up. It's a perfect design, and the design was God. So it was a perfect design. 
And God instructed Noah how to do it. Noah listened, and Noah did what God had told him to do. And we find that the animals that were brought into the ark were brought to, to Noah by God. God rounded them up. God brought them there. And Noah had to provide for these animals for a very long, 371 days. He had to look after them. They had to be cleaned out. They had to be fed and watered. They had to be kept apart because I expect that some of them looked at other animals and thought that makes a nice dinner. And so he had to, to keep these, uh, uh, these animals apart and he had to care for them until the day God was going to release them. So what do we learn? What what is the point of of this story? Is it just a a nice story of of God's love towards Noah? No, it's a warning. God is telling us something very important. Can anyone here this evening deny that we're living in a very corrupt world? Corruption is everywhere. And it seems to me that as we go on in this world... Uh, and we read our newspapers, and we watch the news on television, it seems to me that we're living in a society that really has no time for the true and living God. There are many, as we saw from what uh, uh, Luke and Ethan were telling us, we saw that there are many people that believe in other gods, and they persecute those who believe in the true and living God. We're living in, in a very corrupt world. And we're living amongst people who deny God. We're also living in a very violent society. Um, I had to go to the hospital with Jackie this week and uh, uh, she was in A&E from uh, quarter past two until half past one the following morning when they decided to admit her. And I had to drive home. And I drove home and uh, down my road, there were no streetlights at that time in the morning. I couldn't believe it. And I know that there have been lots of uh, thefts around, and I thought, well, this is, this is the time that people go around. And I have to say that I was a bit nervous when I got out of the car, locked the car. I had, I'd forgotten to put the outside lights on in the house, and I had to walk from the car to the house. I was nervous because of the things that I've heard. Ner- uh, uh, violence is all around us. And Christians around the globe are being persecuted. And yet God prophesied that this would happen, but he also prophesied, he prophesied a a worldwide flood. Um, He did it, and the evidence is there for all to see, Uh, but he also promises a day of judgment. So when Jesus was speaking to his disciples and he said uh, about as in the days of Noah, we're living in those days. And the Apostle Paul, he, he uh, was preaching to a group of men in Athens on a hill called Mars Hill. And in Acts chapter 17, he says, uh, Paul debating with these philosophers, Epicureans and Stoics, people that were full of knowledge, but they found something in Paul that was really interesting. They said, come along and talk to us some more about it. And, uh, and Paul saw on their Mars Hill, they saw lots of gods, and he saw one that was to an unknown God. And during his, uh, his talk with these people, he said, God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice. Just as in the days of Noah, God had set a day when he was going to judge the world, and he told Noah all about it. Noah was able to prepare for that day. God is, uh, uh, Paul was saying to the people, 
God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10, we read these words, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything, in, uh, everything done in it will be laid bare. The apostles, they were telling us that there is another judgment yet to come, and God will bring that judgment. We read the passage before, but it's worth reading again in Matthew 24. But, um, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So although the angels and Jesus don't know when that day is coming, God has set a day. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. Life was going on very happily. People were ignoring the warnings that Noah was giving them, but God had a plan that he was going to fulfill and that he was going to bring judgment. Friends, we live in godless days and live in a society very similar to that of Noah. People live as though there is absolutely no accountability. But Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And Noah needed, sorry, we need to be in this world just like Noah. Living, uh, living according to God's word, um, displaying the fruit of the Spirit, which we've just had a, a long series about, so we know about how we should live and how the Spirit of God should transform us and that the, the way that we live, bearing the fruit of the Spirit, is the way that we, we show our faith in the Lord Jesus and sharing the gospel, calling people to repentance and warning people of God's coming judgment. So the message this evening is that the Bible is true. It's true about an original flood. It's true about a coming judgment. It's true about a man called Noah, a preacher of righteousness. And it's true that we should be preparing for that day of judgment. God is going to bring a day of judgment. And we should be like Noah. We should be sharing our faith with other people. I was... It was my youngest daughter's birthday as well as Jackie's birthday yesterday and I went to see my youngest daughter. She's got four sons and they've all got girlfriends and they were all sitting there celebrating, um, uh, celebrating Naomi's birthday. And uh, we got onto the subject of what's happening in Israel and I started to tell them how God has got a plan for his people. These children, I call them children, they're very young, they had no idea of the history of Israel. They had no they, they were going along with what the media is saying about supporting Hamas. How can it be that uh, thousands of innocent uh, civilians are being killed in Gaza? And I don't want to be political here this evening, but these children had never heard these stories. Even my own grandchildren didn't know the facts. They knew a little bit, but uh, but they didn't know the facts. Friends, we're living in a society that is by and large pretty ignorant of who God is, what his word says, what God has promised and done, and what God is going to, what God has promised and is yet to do. And God is going to bring judgment 
upon this world. As sure as, as eggs are eggs, God is going to bring judgment. And we, his church, God's church, we are to be like Noah. We're to be preachers of righteousness. You may not feel comfortable standing in front of a congregation and preaching, but our lives can be lives that affect people around us. And we can be preachers of righteousness. So the message tonight is God's word is trustworthy. God has given us prophecies that have come true. But there are many prophecies there yet to come true. And God always keeps his word. Just a little aside, I'm reading a book by J.C. Ryle, and he wrote it around 1850. And this book that he's talking about, End Times, and he says in this book, he said, I don't know how it's going to happen. But he said, the day is coming when... All the Jews that are scattered around the world will one day come together and reoccupy their land. Now, he said, I don't know whether that's just a spiritual thing or whether it's really going to happen, but, but from what I read in the Bible, he said, I think it's going to be a real physical thing. Now, he had no idea how it was going to happen because the Jews were, were, were scattered around the globe. And yet, as I look around the congregation tonight and I see people of my own generation, we've lived... Through that period, we've seen the Jews return to Israel. We've seen them become a nation again. And we see that God is fulfilling his prophecies. And he will continue to fulfill his prophecies. Judgment is coming, as it did in the days of Noah. We are to be like Noah, people of righteousness, sharing the gospel with those in need. Do remember on a Thursday to pray for our team that go out on the, on the streets of Kingston sharing the word of God. I'm sure they meet often with opposition people that just want to have an argument. But there are people that come that are serious about wanting to know what, uh, uh, what the Bible has to say. So let's each one of us this evening be like Noah and be preachers of righteousness. Amen. Salvation, of course, is to be found through Jesus Christ alone. And one day we will all have to stand before him and give an account. And will we, with Horatio Spafford, be able to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the warnings that it gives us. We thank you, Lord, that although we live in a world not dissimilar to the world in which Noah lived, yet, Lord, we have, we have your word. We have so many promises. And our prayer is, Lord, that you will help us to be preachers of righteousness, not just with our lips, but with our lives, that we may be an influence upon our families, upon our neighbours, upon our work colleagues. Lord, we long that this nation of ours, would one day or once again turn back to you and see the glories that God brings to his people. We thank you again that you have brought us into this relationship with you. And though we are sinners, yet our sin is covered by the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have to suffer for our own sins if we believe in Jesus, that he died and rose again 
to save us from our sins. So may each one of us go from this place rejoicing in the uh, definite future that we have, that we have a, a home in heaven. This world is not our home. But we look to that day when we will be with you and be with you forevermore. But until that day, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon each one of us, both now and until Jesus comes. We ask it in your name. Amen.